If you would open your Bible with me to the book of Luke, chapter 19. I better turn there myself. Luke, chapter 19, in verse 1. I want to read there and pray as we get started with what I believe the Lord would encourage us with and teach us today. So Luke 19 and verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see Jesus. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. Verse eight, but Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look. I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you that you're going to teach us today. Holy Spirit, translate unto each of our hearts as we have need. And I thank you that you give us wisdom and knowledge that we didn't know of so that we can walk with you in this life. In Jesus name. Amen. So we've been talking about the soul for several weeks now. I think this is week number 10. Uh, What our soul is. And one of the things that we've learned that we've noticed is that our soul is needy. There are things that our soul Needs And one of the things that our soul needs is comfort. We're longing for and looking for comfort pretty much all the time. That's what it is that we're doing. And he has given our soul a keeper. You are your own soul's keeper. In Proverbs, it says, guard your heart or the core of who you are, your soul, with all diligence, because out of it flow the issues of life. And the first step to keeping something or caring for it is to have a better understanding of it, right? If we didn't have any understanding about our cars, we wouldn't keep them serviced. We wouldn't know what to do with them and they would eventually wear out and wreck, wouldn't they? We don't want it to be the same with our soul. Because Christ himself said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits his soul? So we've been learning about the soul in the last couple of weeks and for the next few weeks, we're going to continue to talk about the holes that it's liable to step off into as we walk through this life, as it's looking for comfort, as it's looking for help. And what we've called that, the biblical word for that is idolatry. What are the idols of our soul or what are the things that our soul would turn to that aren't God? What are the things that our soul would look to to be God that is not God. And today we've turned to Luke 19 and we've come to the story of Zacchaeus, which we've talked about before, even recently. Uh, but it is going to is going to bear a, a special weight today as we talk about money, as we talk about wealth, how that is able to be an idol for us. And I'm going to quote a poet this morning a few times, a few verses. Um, it was a poem set to song by a man named Johnny Cash. I don't know if y'all have heard of him, originally from 
Kingsland, Arkansas. And I, I've always kind of liked him, his music. And I saw that he had a song, uh, this is probably a couple years ago now, uh, called Ain't No Grave. And I was like, well, I got to listen to a song by Johnny Cash called Ain't No Grave. And it's a really good one. And I, want, I told my family to play that at my funeral, um, regardless of when it is. It may be a long time. Hopefully it's a long time. Nobody may know what that song is anymore, but I want that played at my funeral. But on that same album, I say that to say this, there was a song called Satisfied Mind. I was like, all right, let me see what Johnny's talking about. I'm listening through. I was like, well, this is a pretty good little album that Ain't No Grave is on. And then there was one called Satisfied Mind. And the first verse of that, he says, how many times have you heard someone say, if I had his money, I do things my way. But little they know, it's so hard to find one rich man in 10 with a satisfied mind. That's verse one, where he said, how, we've heard it said, if I had that guy's money, boy, I'd have the tiger by the tail. I'd, I'd run everything. I'd have everything I needed. If I had his money, I'd do things my way. But little they know, it's so hard to find one rich man in 10 with a satisfied mind. And here in Luke 19, we meet a man, a rich man with an unsatisfied mind. An unsatisfied mind. His name is Zacchaeus, and it tells us that he's the chief tax collector. Now, here's something you need to know about tax collectors. Not only do we, you know, we don't like tax collectors now, right? I mean, do you know any? Not really. I mean, you you don't. If somebody works for the IRS, they're usually not bringing that up at parties. What do you do? I'm a government agent. Well, what kind? Well, I can't really talk about it. <laughs> right? It's not going to, you know, it's, you know, because there's that. But then in that time, it even had a worse context, especially in Israel. Remember, Israel was under the occupation of the empire of Rome. And Rome was taxing Israel for the purpose of keeping the, na- the, the empire of Rome running. And so what they would do is they would sell the rights for someone to be a tax collector for them. Someone from the area that knew the area, that knew the people, to tax the people of the area so they would get everything they were supposed to get. And people would purchase this right from Rome to to be the tax collector for their own people. So again, they are being occupied by another empire treated very poorly by this empire. And then people from amongst their own neighborhoods are volunteering to collect taxes from them for that empire. And it was a very corrupt position. They would, they would steal, they would extort, they would take more than they were supposed to, which is why people would volunteer to do it. And so you see, they had a terrible reputation in the nation of Israel at that time. Tax collector. Mm. And it said that Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. So not only was he seen as a traitor and a cheat, he was the boss of the traitors and the cheats. So it's a big deal. And his name, by the way, the name Zacchaeus in Hebrew meant pure and innocent. Pure and innocent is the meaning of we're talking about name meanings this morning. He, he was anything but he was anything. But it's kind of ironic because he took advantage of people that were right there among him. And again, that's why he would have taken the position would be so that he could become richer. It said he was a chief tax collector and he was 
rich. So as we're talking about money this morning as one of the idols of our soul, remember when we say idol, we have in our mind, most of the time, it, the first thing that'll pop up is people in a hut in the jungle, bowing, you know, cannibals, and they're bowing down to some type of gold animal statue. And while that's idolatry, for us, it's always going to be more than that because it's something that our heart is looking to that's not God. Asking something that's not God to be God for us or to give us the things that only God can give to help us in the way that only God can help. To take even things that are good. Last week we talked about love or relationships. This week, money. Both can be good, but we take something that's good and we ask it to be great. We elevate it to a place that it cannot stay and our loves are dis. Ordered. We're putting something at the top that cannot stay there. And last week I, I quoted to you um, uh, an, an, an atheist writing uh, named Becker. And he talked about how people who have even given up on God still have needs and problems in their life. And they try to satisfy them in ways that are unhealthy. You remember that he talked about the romantic option. And you can go back and listen to that. I don't have time to go into it. But this week, I want to quote another atheist writer named Frederick Nietzsche. And y'all may have heard of him. He had the famous quote, God is dead, right? You've heard somebody say that or quote him saying God is dead. And, and what he was referring to is the erosion of the foundation of our culture because people were beginning to disbelieve God. They weren't believing in anything else. And he could see it falling apart. He was still an atheist, but he could tell there's problems that are going to come from this and, and he referenced Western culture specifically as replacing God with money. And the way he wrote it, let me pull it up here. I've got it on my phone because I felt like that would be easiest. He wrote, what induces one man to use false weights? Another to set his house on fire after having insured it for more than its value. While three-fourths of our upper classes indulge in legalized fraud, what gives rise to all this? It is not real want, for their existence is by no means precarious, but they are urged on day and night by a terrible impatience at seeing their wealth pile up so slowly and by an equally terrible longing and love for those heaps of gold. What was once done, quote, for the love of God is now done for the love of money, i.e. for the love of that which at present affords us the highest feeling of power and a good conscience. He says, what would induce a man to use false weights? And it's not someone in the market saying, well, I'm going to say this is a pound when really it's like, you know, less than a pound, but I'm going to sell it for a pound. What induces someone to use false weights or to burn their own house down after they've just insured it for more than its value? And then he points out most of them don't even have to. Most of them, it's not even need. He's like, it's not because they need it. Their existence is not precarious. There's not, they're not on the edge. Why are they doing this? And he says it's impatience at seeing their wealth pile up too slowly, wanting it to pile up faster and being in love with those heaps of gold, which he says at present offers them that feeling of power and a good conscience. 
Again, an atheist able to see this is a problem. It's a problem that people are looking to money to do something that it can't do so much so that it's taking people that actually have money and, and, and pushing them to cheat, lie, and steal to get more because it makes them feel powerful and it gives them the feeling of a good conscience. He could see a culture of greed developing. And again, this is a long time ago. It ain't got any better. He could see a culture of greed developing that was eating away at the soul and the foundation of society. Now, he still couldn't yet see the true answer to that. He had disregarded God, but his uh, diagnosis, we can see, was pretty valid, Right? It was valid. But, but see, the, the problem with greed and, and, and the reason that it's able to infiltrate our society the way that it is and our hearts the way that it is, is because it's deceptive. We can be worshiping it, driven by it, and not realize it. We can be greedy and not able to see it in ourselves. Pastor Tim Keller, who I told you I had read quite a bit on idolatry, he said, Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex. Yet almost no one thinks we're guilty of it. He said, Jesus warned about money and greed far more than everything else. Yet most of us would, would hardly think we're guilty of it. You know, when we are living this life, we usually find ourselves in some type of bracket some type of subsection of the economy, and that's really all that we look at. We don't compare ourselves to, say, the rest of the world or what's going on around the world. We compare ourselves to a very small group of people that we're similarly situated with. And if we're below, because usually when we get to a new one, guess where we are in it? We're at the bottom. We're looking at the people that are closer to the top of that bracket, and we're like, I want to be where they are. I want to be at the top of this bracket. Well, guess what happens when you get to the top of this one? Oh, now you're at the bottom of the next one. And you're still looking up to the people who are at the top of that one. And so no matter how lavishly you live, you're still always able to compare yourself to somebody else who has more than you, who you feel like is doing better than you, who you feel like if you were like them, if I had his money, I could do things my way. And it's over and over again, and we don't realize that we're stuck in that. Because then we're not comparing ourselves to the world, because if we compare ourselves to the world, we are rich beyond measure, right? But we just compare ourselves to that bracket. And so then we end up, and the, you know, the famous line, we end up uh, buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Right? And it's just over and over and over no matter how lavishly you are living. Second line of Johnny Cash's little verse that he wrote. You know, we told you the first one. He said, once I was living in fortune and fame, had everything that I dreamed of to get a start in life's game. Suddenly it happened. I lost every dime. But I'm better by far with a satisfied mind. Better by far with a satisfied mind. So given all of this, all of this evidence that this is a problem in our society and also the evidence that it's likely a problem in our heart, though we've not realized it, we should start from the position of this 
money could easily be a problem for me. This could easily be a problem for me. If we read back in Luke in chapter 11 and 12, Jesus warned about greed or the love of money. And then he also warned about excessive anxiety about it. In chapter 12, verse 15, he said, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. He said, be on guard, watch out, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. He teaches us that people who who love their wealth, when they lose it, they lose themselves. When you love wealth or money, when you lose it, like Johnny was talking about, when you lose it, you can lose your very self. Why do you think he said What does it profit a man if he gains everything but loses his soul? Those who love their wealth, when they lose it, they lose themselves. And Christ told us in Luke 16, verse 13, that no servant can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other, be loyal to one and despise the other. He said, you can only have one master. And then he said, you know, and obviously we can apply that to lots of things. We're going to be like, oh, yeah, you can have two masters. You can apply it to this. You can apply it to this. He's like, but specifically, I'm saying you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll be loyal to one and you'll despise the other. Why would you despise the other? Because it's asking you to do something different than your master that you're serving is asking you to do. He said, you're only going to be able to serve one of the two. And again, money isn't the problem. It's not the problem. Money, it's currency, it's a tool. Money is not the problem. Our soul is the problem when we look at it to be something more than what it can be. It's a good tool. It's a terrible God. Just like everything else we're going to talk about, it's good. A relationship is good. It's a terrible God. Money, good tool. Terrible, terrible God. The Bible talks about loving money or, 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 or the, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. Lovers of money will daydream, fantasize day and night of new ways to get more money, of new ways to get more money. And I'm not talking about planning. Planning is good. Financial planning. Good. I'm talking about playing. I've said that before. Not not planning, playing, playing at it. How can I get new stuff? I got to have that new stuff. How can I do it? How can I make it happen? And you always see that lovers of money will always walk in jealousy towards other people. Why do they have that? I should have that. That that looks better than mine. I want that. Why? Just so I can feel better. Lovers of money will fantasize about new ways to get more money. Trusting in money. He warns against that. Trusting in money so that you can feel in control, so that you can feel safe. Well, if I've got enough, I can do what I want. If I've got enough, then it doesn't matter. Everything's going to be okay. If I've got enough money, if I could just get enough money, well, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more and everything will be okay, but we know it's never enough. It's never enough, but you can see that in our soul, even when... Yeah, I, I see people all the time, they, they've gotten older in age and their minds started to go. You know, one of the first things you hear from them is, 
Somebody's after my money. Somebody's trying to steal my money. My kids are taking my money. Person who works for me is taking my money. This person, it's just, uh, it, it, it develops into this paranoia of I'm not going to have enough money. Because we're trusting in it for our safety, our security, and to feel in control. To feel in control. But we're asking it to do something that it can't do. Again, Johnny. Johnny said, money can't buy back your youth when you're old. Or a friend when you're lonely. Or a love that's grown cold. The wealthiest person is a pauper at times compared to the man with a satisfied mind. So we don't want to be a lover of money. We don't want to trust in money. And the last thing we don't want to be or the last thing we want to be. Yeah, that's the last thing I want to be. That's what I mean. Is a servant to it or a slave to it. Because Jesus said you can't serve God and money. So if I'm serving it, I'm not serving him And when I serve it, it will enslave me. I will be a slave to it. Again, why do people lie and cheat and steal and take, especially when their existence is not precarious? We're not talking about stealing bread to eat. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about we have enough, but we want more. Why do people do that? Because they, they see that as their best hope. They're a slave to something that they'll never have enough of. They'll never have enough of. We don't want to be a slave to money. It's not a kind master. But see, when Christ is Lord of your life, when you serve him, money is dethroned. It's taken off the throne in your life. And then he's able to sit where he rightly should be. When money's on the throne... It's deceptive. You don't realize that it is controlling you through your anxieties, through your lusts. It's controlling you and will bring you to put it above everything else. Again, that's why people cheat. That's why people lie. That's why people literally work themselves to death because they are being driven by a desire that it can't fulfill. It will bring you to put it ahead of everything else. And that's where we find Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Let's look at it again. There was a man named Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. It says he's a chief tax collector. He was rich. We know what type of life that he lived. We see his reputation when people refer to him. And yet he was looking. It said he was looking to see who Jesus was. He was trying to see who Jesus was. Why? Because he needed something he didn't have. Said he was rich, but he needed something he didn't have. Those riches, his little God had promised him something that it wasn't delivering. And we know that feeling. We talked about it last week. 
You're going to see it repeated as we talk about these different idols. We fight to get something because we think it's going to be the thing that puts us to right. And then when we actually get it, actually lay hold of it, we encounter great and terrible disappointment because it doesn't do for us what we thought it would do. It doesn't do and deliver what we thought that it would. Something we think we want, our idol to make us right will always leave us disappointed because it can't do anything else but that. So Zacchaeus is looking and he's trying to see who Jesus was. And it says he ran ahead and he climbed a tree because he was a short man. And some of us can relate to that. But somebody brought up as I was studying this. Why couldn't the short dude just stand in front of the other people? I never thought of it that way. Why couldn't the short guy just stand in front of the other people who were taller than him? You know, like at the parade, kids are standing in front of me. Doesn't bother me a bit. I didn't make them climb the tree. Climb the tree or go home. No. Why couldn't he stand in front of people? They weren't going to make room for him. They did not like him. He's a chief tax collector. You going to ask me? (laughs) I don't hear him. Do y'all hear him? I don't hear anything. Why couldn't he just stand in front of the other people? He wasn't welcome in front of them. And then yet he's looking, he's trying to see Jesus. He climbs a tree, which again, this is an honor culture to climb a tree like that. His position would have been dishonorable, right? It would have been uh, undignified. Would have been undignified for him to climb a tree, but he did. Why? Because he wanted to see Jesus. And so he's up this tree, disappointed, outcast, and dishonored, but he's still looking. He's still looking. He wants to see who Jesus is. I want to find out who Jesus is. I want to find out who Jesus is. In verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today It is necessary for me to come to your house. Come down here. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. And it said he hurried down. Quickly he came down and welcomed him joyfully. Oh, Zach came running. He came down the tree quickly. And then verse 7, because you're going to have this. All who saw it began to complain. He, Jesus, has gone to stay with a sinful man or he's gone to the house of a notorious sinner again he was not welcomed but if you think about it when did Jesus go to anybody's house but a sinner right when did he ever eat with anybody but sinner? he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners when did he go eat with anybody who wasn't a sinner everywhere he goes he's going to a sinner's house to eat lunch But they're talking it, but Zacchaeus doesn't give any mind to what they're saying. Look at verse eight. But they're saying that. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. And so something has changed. And he's gone from gaining wealth for himself at the expense of others, those around him. He's gone from that to serving them at the expense of his wealth. So he was taking advantage of them to benefit himself. Now he is pouring out to benefit 
those around him. Why? Jesus had replaced Zacchaeus' idol and it was no longer needed. It was no longer needed. Now, his action here wasn't to receive grace and mercy from Jesus. His action here was a response to the fact that he had received grace and mercy from Jesus. Money had been control. Money had been access. Well, if I have this, I can go these places. If I can go these places, I can be around these people. If I can be around these people, then I'll have this influence. And he, he had looked at all of it. He said, I've been to all of, I'm the chief tax collector. He may have had more money than everybody in Jericho. But he said, I've seen the end of that and it wasn't a help to me. And then when he found Jesus or when Jesus called him, money went back to being just money. Not something he had to hoard or cheat and lie and steal to get, but something that he could freely what? Give. He could freely give. Now this identifies a dilemma for us and something we'll want to pay attention to. Idolatry, specifically money, cannot be just removed from your soul. Idolatry, specifically money, but all of them really, can't simply be removed from your soul. It must be replaced. It can't just be taken out. It must be expelled by something else. Yeah, we talked about it, but remember the one time I had the empty glass up here. How do you get all of the air out of the glass? How can I get all the air out of this glass? We turn it upside down. We do all these things. The only way to get it out is to fill it up with something else. The expulsive power of a new affection was the way one old minister put it. That when Christ comes in, the new affection for him pushes out the things we had loved instead of him. When we see him, Christ, dying to make us his treasure, it makes him our treasure. When Zacchaeus was called down out of that tree and said, Jesus said, I'm going to your house. When he was received, when he was accepted in spite of who he was, it reframed what treasure was for him. When we see Christ died for us so that we could be his, save us from tragedy. Money cannot give us the control that we want to have in a chaotic world. It can't give us safety and security. Only he can do that. Never idols. They never can. That's why they always disappoint us. That's why they always break our hearts. Zacchaeus said, I don't have to scheme anymore or cheat anymore. I can play it honest. I can play it upright. Why? Because I don't need all of this. This has been a problem for me. I don't, I, I, I don't need it. I don't have to serve it. And again, this isn't you or him, you know, like white knuckle trying to not be greedy. I just can't be, I got to try not to be greedy. I got to try not to be selfish. I got to try not to be jealous or covetous or so other people have things. It's not that. It's restful discipleship committed to Christ and just growing. Just growing. Jesus called Zacchaeus by his name. Remember what his name meant? Pure and innocent. 
Jesus was the one that Zacchaeus had been looking for. Jesus was the one that Zacchaeus had been looking for. And when Jesus saw him in his dishonor as an outcast, because Jesus knows. He knows. He saw him in that situation. He called him by his name to come near, to come close. Again, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. He too is a part of the family. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, even in our idolatry. Again, even in the condition that Zacchaeus was in, he was looking and the Son of Man came to save him, even him, especially him. So as we're thinking through idolatry in our heart, when we catch ourselves in it, because we will, it's going to happen. Our soul is tempted to look at lesser things because they're closer at hand and they seem to promise something that's easier in the times of trouble than being, I don't know, patient or faithful or persevering. It seems to be a quicker fix. So when we catch our heart looking to those things, that's when we have to stop and be like Zacchaeus and go, where's Jesus at? I need to see Jesus. I need to look to Jesus because thankfully He saves the lost. He saves those who are wandering. He saves those. He also seeks them out. It says, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, and you don't have to turn there if you want to. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. He said, we know the grace of Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. How's that? In all the ways that matter most. In all the ways that matter most. Let money be just money. You know, because we'll notice money, right? You're walking, you know, you see money on the ground. You're noticing money on the ground, aren't you? You're going to pick up money off the ground. That's fine. Pick up money. Pick up money on your job as you have opportunity. Do better. Advance. Pick up money. That's fine. Pick up money. Don't expect money to pick you up. Don't expect it to pick you up because it can't. Don't ask it to do something that by its very nature it can't do. It can't do it. It cannot pick you up. Trust that. Know that. You will never have enough of it. You will never have enough of it. Ever. You could, and I say this all the time, you could take your income right now and triple it. Triple it. In your mind, take it and triple it. And though, you know the first thing you think? That'd fix all my problems. That would fix every single problem that I have. If I took that and tripled it, it's over. No more problems. 
But is that what we see? Is that what we see happening? What happens when people's income triples, quadruple, go, you know, lottery winners? How's that work out? Yeah, not good. Not good. Yeah, what you see is the people you think are making all the money. Guess what? They got big payments. Because they're in that other structure. I, I promise you. It's not going to make you happy. It's not going to make you safe. It's not going to make you secure. Only he can do that. If you don't believe that, look, look at the billionaires. Come on, billionaires. Whose lives are falling apart. Yet they have all that money. All that money. It won't pick you up. Trust that. Know that. Always know that. Don't ask it to be more than what it is. It helps. And it helps. If I got to have dental work done, I need a little bit of money. And I'd rather have my dental work done because then my mouth's not hurting. Come on. It helps. But even social science has told us once you get above a certain point, and it's not very high, especially nowadays, once you get above a certain income line, it stops helping you as far as your happiness, right? I mean, if you've got no money, then you don't have food, shelter, or the things that are most important in life that we have to have to live. You don't have those. And when you don't have those, it's, it, it, it is a tough, 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 tough life. But they say, once you get up to about this point, and yeah, I'm not going to draw the line for you because I don't want you to be like, well, I need to get to that point. Huh? <laughs> That's where you stop getting happier when it increases. And again, it's not that high. It's not. Know that it is not going to be enough for you if you're asking it to be something that it can't be. It's a good tool, but it's a crummy God. It seems like it'll help. It's going to seem like it'll help, but it won't. It won't. And again, pick some up. Pick it up. As you have opportunity, pick it up. But don't look for it to pick you up. Last time by Johnny. I went a little bit longer today. When life has ended, and my time has run out. My friends and my loved ones, I'll leave, there's no doubt. But one thing's for certain, when it comes my time, I'll leave this old world with a satisfied mind. With a satisfied mind. Because how many times have you heard someone say, if I had his money, I'd do things my way. But little they know, it's so hard to find. One rich man out of 10 with a satisfied mind. So what are we supposed to do with money? Let it just be money. Let it be just money. And choose the path that's going to grow and elevate your character. Choose the path that's going to grow and elevate your generosity. Choose the path that's going to grow and elevate your soul in Christ. Choose that path because just like Johnny said, at the end of your life, you're walking away from all of it anyway. You're walking away from all of it anyway. All other things are going to fade. Everything else. He is the treasure that we're looking for. Zacchaeus realized it. We've realized it. Most of us. We've realized it. We just have to reinforce it to our soul. I don't need another treasure. I got the best one. I don't need that to be something for me. It can just be what it is. He's the only treasure at the end of all of this. He's the only treasure that we get to keep. And he's the only one.
that we really need because he's actually the one keeping us. Amen. Let me pray for us as we get ready to go. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're honest with us. Thank you that Christ came and was honest with us about where our heart would turn instead of you, where we're tempted to look for safety and satisfaction and security instead of you. I thank you that you bless us. You give, the, you give us the ability to make wealth. You give us the ability. But I thank you that we'll never forget who you are and what you've done. We'll never get our bellies full and our pockets full and then look around and go, look at everything I've done. But that you will always be our treasure. Let us see things clearly and not believe the lies that counterfeits would try to sell us that they can be for us what only you can be because we know the end of that is disappointment. And I thank you so much that when we find ourselves disappointed, we've trusted in something else and we find ourselves disappointed and dishonored and outcast because we sought after something that couldn't do what we wanted it to do, you still call us close. You'll still come eat supper at our house with us. You'll still dwell with us. You, you, you give more grace. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you help heal the wounds we've inflicted on our own selves by seeking something other than you. That's just how good you are. That's just how good you are. I thank you for this story about Zacchaeus. And I thank you that we can see the glory shining on him as his heart began to change when he saw you and came into your presence, casting aside all the other things he had put his hope and his trust in, all those things that had hurt him, that you helped him, and that you will do the same thing for us, that you will give us that satisfied mind. As we get ready to go today, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with each other. Keep us safe. As we go into this week, we do so trusting and walking with you. I thank you for opportunities to encourage others, opportunities to build up, opportunities to be a help to somebody else. Because when we're helped by you, you always help us more than we need and more than we deserve so that we can be a help to others. And I thank you for that. I thank you that our eyes will be open to opportunity and open to all the good work that you've already done, that you're doing right now, and that you've yet to do in our life. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.